Hello there and welcome to this Sunday's episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlath Regan. Well, we have an unbelievable guest for you today, Claire Walsh, who is an extraordinary human being, speaker and athlete who takes part in the sport of freediving, which you may not know what it is to, to start with coming to this episode. I think I had an idea in my head what it was, but didn't know the specifics. Well, Claire can explain it an awful lot better than me, but freediving is basically breath holding underwater and traveling as far as you can without having to surface for oxygen. It's terrifying, just the sound of it, but it's about confronting your limits, uh, surrendering to them, accepting them, pushing by them, and an awful lot more. And Claire Walsh knows a thing or two about all of those things. She's lived a life, it's fair to say, and here for the first time she really talks about what took place to bring her to the point of deciding that she would be the first Irish person to go to the World Free Diving Championships, to quit her job and devote herself to this. A lot has to happen, and a lot did happen. I'll let her explain it, but if you're struggling this year, if you've been through difficult times, which pretty much everyone I know has, you have to know that there are people around there for you. The chosen charity partner of our podcast is Jigsaw.ie and they're specifically thinking about young people back home in Ireland. They work within communities to provide workshops and facilities and services to equip young people with the mental health tools they'll need to survive the tough times that they've been through and that lie ahead. Uh, I'd imagine that Claire could have used a jigsaw during her toughest times but she's a story of survival and out the other side she comes with this incredible story to tell i can't wait to read the book that will no doubt follow at some point in the future but for now we've got this extraordinary conversation with the brilliant claire walsh that's the small talk now let's get down to business now your program what's the big idea well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and learn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Jonathan Rigo! Claire Walsh, it's brilliant to have you on Irish Man Abroad, our first ever free driver on the show <laughs> and hopefully not our last. But for people that don't know what free diving is, do you want to just explain what the I think everybody knows what it is to dive without oxygen. But what mm -hmm. is the sport? Explain the sport to me. Well, the sport of free diving, it, it's exactly that. It's holding your breath underwater is the simplest way to describe it but the sport it's it's divided into different disciplines so the first discipline is measured in time so you do that in a pool and you do that lying flat on your tummy airways submerged holding your breath and it's the longest amount of time you can hold your breath 
Really? So so literally like we used to do in the pool when we were kids, literally. Exactly. <laughs> really? And that's that's now, the, that's an event. Like that's that people lying kind of face event. down in the water yeah. holding and their breath. Weirdly, it's really exciting to watch. <laughs> I'd imagine like, so. Absolutely love so it's called static. So it does what it says in the tin, you're lying static on the surface of the water. And I love watching static. But essentially essentially you're just watching someone's back and listening to the coach. I love it. And is it on Eurosport? Like, can I can I watch this online? No. Recently, the dives now not the pool discipline, so not static, but the open water stuff has started to be recorded, um, and you can stream it. But it, that's still kind of in its infancy. Yeah. Uh, I think the first event was in I don't know, in two thousand seventeen, maybe a little bit before, but not much longer. And you have this thing, so it's called Dive Eye, and it looks like a minion from Despicable Me, mm. like a yellow thing. And it goes down with the diver because, on their dive. Because a, a normal camera couldn't go down that far. No, no pressure. Wow. Right. OK, so the, the first event is lying on the tummy so, in the pool yeah. holding called Static, the second static. one. So and then the next set is in the pool. And that's exactly the same. You know, we used to do this as kids as well, swimming underneath the surface of the water, up and back, doing laps. And there's, you know, you can do different strokes or um, different disciplines within that. But they're all the pool disciplines. Mm. And then the one I think that <laughs> excites most freedivers is the open water stuff. So they're called the depth disciplines. So if and I could just is, ask about the pool one first, though, yeah. the swimming up and back. Is yeah. it so that's not a race? That is no. an endurance event, but you have to be moving forward. Yeah. And even if you watch like some of the elite athletes, um, they're very slow. So it's, it's finding that sweet spot between moving enough to, you know, keep moving forward, mm. but then also conserving energy. You, you don't want the heart rate to spike, yeah. you know, throughout it. So you're trying to keep the heart rate as low as possible. I mean, like loads of people are going to be listening to this for the first time going, I didn't even know that sport existed. <laughs> but you can already kind of tell that the game here is mental as much oh, as physical or if not more mental than physical. 100%. And I do have to say, as I always do, um, if someone is listening to this for the first time, please don't try it. <laughs> yeah. Please don't try it. Yeah, well, um, we definitely need to talk about that because, you know, the story of how you come to it, because it's again, it's not something that's in the sports curriculum or mentioned no, even when you. Me, no. Yeah. Um, so now the sexy stuff, the, oh, in, in the, the water show. stuff, the stuff oh. that's usually free diving your understanding or your first vision of it would be in an ad for aftershave <laughs> some, <laughs> some screensaver of some sort. Oh, the best smelling free divers in the world. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, you know, the, just the imagery of what it is, is just so breathtaking on first sight. But again, explain the sport, though. It's not just a lad underwater in a tight pair of jocks. It's, you know, explain how how it works, yeah. what the contest is and how you win. So the depth disciplines, they're in four categories now, two, three, four in comp competition anyway. So the first one is called free immersion. So 
okay, say if I had a competition tomorrow, I would, and it's free immersion, so I'm pulling myself down on a rope. I'm not wearing any fins. It's just me, my breath hold, and I'm pulling myself down on a rope. So if my competition was tomorrow, I would get my announcement sheet. And on my announcement sheet, I would say how deep I'm going to go. Mm. So let's say tomorrow I'm going to go to 16 metres. That's what I'm going to aim for. And then you give an estimation of the time it takes to do it. But that's more for safety protocol, how long it takes to get to the bottom and back up and so on. So that's my announcement. You put in your announcement and she puts in hers and he puts it in his. And it's categorized either going from shallowest to deepest or deepest to shallowest. So I'm diving 60. You're diving 64 tomorrow. So if I make my dive, brilliant. If you make your dive, obviously you win, but you might not make your dive. You might uh, mess up your protocol. Uh, You might uh, turn early. So that's relatively common. And then basically the, like, you, you know, at the start of the day, who's won, but free diving, (laughs) it is one of those uh, twee cliches. Everyone's a winner. Yeah. So it's a bidding war of sorts. Yeah. You know, like I don't, you know, the announcements never really concern me because, you know, I'm I'm not going to place myself up in the medals ever, you know, certainly not for, not for the foreseeable future. And if ever, so it doesn't really matter what I announce, but if both of us were top athletes and we were at the top for a game and I knew that you'd done a 70 in training, you know, I'd be wondering, okay, is Darleth going to go for 74 or will he go 75? Mm. How do, where do I want to pitch myself in there? Will I be conservative and do 73 and hope that that's enough? So there is all that sort of strategy at play. That's not something that I have to think about. Thank God, that would stress me so much. <laughs> so like, I mean, just the image of 70, just the, the thought of going down to that kind of level of pressure under water, you, you're not just kicking your legs. There is a rope. Yeah, there is, so there'll always be a rope. So there's a usually a platform on the surface and there's lots of safety people and judges and so on on the platform. And there's an arm extending out from that and from that drops the rope and you'll always be attached to that rope. So you'll wear a lanyard and that's a a safety procedure, obviously. So uh, at the bottom, there's um, called the bottom weight. Mm -hmm. And just above that, there's a plate. And on the plate, there are loads of little floating uh, pieces of Velcro. And when you reach your depth, you take a piece of Velcro and bring it back up with you. And that's kind of the proof that you've gotten down there. And that's when you're, you're asked on the surface, do, do you have a tag? And, that, and uh, that's what they're referring to. Well, like we've so much to talk about, Claire, but because I, I'd imagine that 99% of the time, the questions you get asked are, what's that like? Like what's like, this is another planet that you visited that very few people have been yeah. to, yet it exists here on Earth. But you've felt the sensation of going down so deep that at a certain point you start dropping, that you're not kicking Mm -hmm. your legs. That to me Mm -hmm. was an awakening when I realized that that takes place. But there must be a certain amount of terror when you do that first and you feel your body now 
descending with yeah. is it gravity at that point so that 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 stage you're describing is called free fall and that's when you and become negatively buoyant so you need to do nothing to descend and for years i used to used to kind of fight it a little bit and um, because free fall is all about relaxation i would be slightly uh, more I'd be a more, I suppose, kinetic person. So whether it's nerves or whether I just like movement, I used to move slightly to do really small little kicks or arm pulls or whatever all the way through free fall. But that's such an inefficient way to dive. And if you are going to dive to 50, 60 metres, you most certainly need to free fall. Mm. When you, I think free fall basically it's the dangling carrot for free divers. If you get a nice free fall, one where you manage to switch off enough, where your body is relaxed, you go into, uh, it's kind of like a dream-like state and it is just magical. You, you know, I, I love the feeling of the water flowing over my hands, over my feet. It's so quiet. There are no distractions. It is just bliss. Well, uh, you know, Eski Britain was on the mm -hmm. show a while ago and, you know, we discussed the fear of the water that has been passed down through generations of Irish people yeah. that for so long Irish people didn't put wetsuits on and get into the sea. Because yeah. Jesus Christ, you know that a lot of people died there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you could basically couldn't trust any water if you were to believe the locals and how that was the local people leading it to an extent yeah. that they were just so fearful that something could happen, which, of course, it could. I mean, yeah. similarly, oh, we would we shouldn't be going on any of our roads mm. <laughs> if you were to <laughs> operate off the basis that people have died there. But when you describe what you're describing there, yeah, there will be people clenching up at the thought of it. When do you free yourself from that fear? Because I'm sure that fear is there. It's a, like yeah. it's a natural instinct. Like the, the fear is the other side of the coin. And I think the minute you don't have the fear, I think then you're in trouble. You know, it, it's maybe let's not call it a fear, but a very, very healthy respect. Mm. Um, you know, maybe for limits. Yeah, for limits, less so for my own limits. Obviously, that's a factor. For the limits and of my safety divers is always a really big one in my head. Um, I don't want to put anyone else in danger. But also kind of for the sea as an entity, you know, people are going to listen to this and think I am correct. But I talk to the sea. Um, you kind of suss it out. You see, are you being invited down today? It's like, I suppose, gauging someone's mood. And then, you know, that'll that'll adjust how you react or, you know, how you interact with it. But it's very much a dialogue. Mm. <laughs> Even saying yeah, No, I, I don't think it sounds crazy at all. And I do. Again, if people are playing uh, Irishman Abroad Bingo, I'm about to bring it back to stand up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's either basketball or stand up comedy. I tend to bring everything back to. But the dialogue, when people talk about it in terms of stand up, it, it is people think you're just up there rabbiting on. Mm. But it is a back and forth. Yeah. It, you're listening intently and 
that's the reason why loads of comics are podcasters. And when you describe the conversation with the sea, there is no doubt a few people going, hey, oh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think we all engage in that conversation when we go for a swim. Yes. And sometimes the sea is really clear with you. Oh, <laughs> today's I'm... not the day. Is it the same way? Because when we see this free diving down deep, 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 the water is always so calm. But it's mm. not always la- like that, is it? No, it's not. And I actually watched a video of a dive yesterday where it was very, very not calm. And it was one of my own dives. And, oh, I was being thrown around the place. This is even before I started. But going back to, you know, going for a swim, it's the exact same. And I think maybe what's missing a little bit here at the moment is the fear and the respect. It's terrific that so many people have flocked to the sea to you know to to take part to avail of you know the community and then you know the bite of the cold water you know there's so much but i think what is missing is the fear i think because so many people are doing it it seems like everyone can do it do it and that there aren't risks there are inherent risks Mm. you know i can plan a dive i can plan a swim down to you know the last detail but there's one variable i can't account for and that's the sea so I have to, I have to take that into account because that's the deal breaker. I mean, we're going to get into all of this. I do want to go back to the question that must be in everyone's mind is how the hell do you wind up here and doing this extraordinary thing? I also really want to talk about, you know, breathing, which is such a mm. huge part of your business now. Yeah. And helping people use that like it is the central pillar of what you do. And, you know, free diving is just part of it in terms of your vocal coaching and your speaking. The beginning, though, is, I believe, a lot to do with the city that I'm in right now, London. And and your your trip over here where what I read was the experience that a lot of Irish abroad don't like to talk about. You only mm-hmm. hear about the success stories, but very few really talk about how grueling, unforgiving mm-hmm. and yeah. I would say carnivorous this city can be. Yep. I I always say London won. London won and it took me a couple of years to forgive it and go back, even for a visit. London 100% won, handed me my arse on a plate. How so? You know what? It is a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation. So I was over there. um, I'd gotten a place in Central School of Speech and Drama. So quite a prestigious course. I was just fresh out of my BA and going into a master's. The course was very small. There were five of us in it. I was the youngest by maybe nine years and um, everyone else was in their 30s, some 40s and one lady was in her 50s. So it's very much the baby of the group. And I never really found my feet. But what had preceded that move, so I moved in September, was I had worked quite a lot during the summer to save for this adventure. Where did you and work to, to do? I learn? actually worked for the Irish Wheelchair Association. Okay. And I worked kind of day shifts and night shifts 
to uh, get my London fund in a healthier state. Mm. But what had happened over that summer was, oh, I don't know, um, I guess mental illness uh, reared its head. Um, I wasn't fully aware of what was happening. So, you know, that year I spent in London doing my master's full time, which was full on. I also, I think, was in the first uh, 12 months of what was to be a quite a long journey with mental illness. So are you, are you OK, Claire, if I ask a couple of questions Absolutely. about it? Because yeah. there's there's just so much talk about mental health that, you know, to some extent, people think, oh, it's we've talked about it enough. But yeah. when in reality, there's there's so many different paths and journeys through mental health that haven't been talked yeah. about at all. I say it sounds like what you are describing or from what I've read as well is the internal battery got really drained on you and left you incapable of dealing mm. with, with what was happening, what was ahead of you and the pressure that was coming with it. What way did it present itself? So even, you know, sitting here now and I'm you know, I think I think that was around 2005. So I'm a good bit out of that now. Mm. But still, that image is so strong in my head. And <laughs> it's a sports image, uh, which anyone who knows me will laugh at. Um, so it's a baseball image. I don't play baseball. I don't follow it. So I have this idea of, you know, being at home base. And my foot is on home base. So I'm kind of more thinking about rounders as kids, if mm. I'm being dead honest. My foot is touching home base, so I'm safe. And you can kind of shimmy around that and, you know, 360. And as long as you have your foot on home, you're safe. And the predominant feeling now is standing there, putting my foot back to reach for home and it not being there. And I think by home, I mean my gut instinct. Mm. By home, I mean what I know to be true of myself, my own core beliefs, you know, my own sense of, you know, intrinsic pride or core values or whatever it is. I couldn't access them. And without them, what do you go on? Mm -hmm. So do you start to ad adopt those of the people around you or, you know, you let your your sense of identity be influenced by what other people say. And it's it, it, it just it, it's really it, it's scary. It's it's frightening. And I felt very at sea during that year, quite overwhelmed and masked it probably well enough. And I think that that as well, that's an added an added layer to it of appearing well. Now, most of us, when, when we when we go to our core beliefs, like it is anchored in tangible things and people uh, and places and memories. And sometimes all of that gets robbed from us yeah. through a betrayal or a death and can be magnified then by being in somewhere like London which just doesn't give two fucks about you. <laughs> just, oh, just... I, I, I used to always complain, like, as a teenager or whatever, and you go into town and invariably I meet one of my aunties on Grafton Street. 
And mm. I hate it. I said, who are you with? And why do you do it? And does your mom know? And all this kind of stuff. And then I remember going into London and like, oh, I'd love to bump into one of my aunties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. My wife is always talking about the bump in. That yeah. The bump in is just the, the stop and nothing. chat. It's just yeah. the thing you miss so much over here. Yeah. It was, a, it was certainly, it was a tough year. And then on the flip side, my sister moved over a couple of years later and absolutely loved it and only moved home last year and would go back. But that had to be part of it, though, when you say this, because I, I know there will be people that can't really relate to mm. being able to reach back and know their, you know, as you say, the home where home base is and what you are and who you are and what you believe mm-hmm. was part of it being around classmates, these four other people in the class who had their lives all sorted out and knew exactly who they were and where they were going. Actually, I think it's the opposite. Really? <laughs> I don't think they did, but they none of them were uh, English. We were Canadian, South African, German, American, and an Israeli girl. So we were. Some of them had only just moved. Some of them had lived in London a little while, but it was just a big clash of cultures. <laughs> none more evident when I suggested early <laughs> in in the course, how about we go for one or two to get to know each other. <laughs> And when they were finished, their one, they were all picking up their coats and their bags. I was like, no, 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 no. Like one or two, as in like maybe four or five. That just didn't really come into it. So you, mean, you talk about mental illness, but like you do come across as crazy to uh, <laughs> other nationalities when you're like, where are you going? <laughs> I mean, this is this is meant to go on all night. Yeah. And they're like, I'm, I mean, this also, person's got a problem. Exactly. And what is this girl's obsession with the weather? We don't need to talk about it every day. Yeah. Whereas yeah. it's my greeting. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's the it's the jump off. You know, I hate when people brush by this and I don't mm. I don't want to go past this because it is so important to how you got to where you are. Yeah. But you chose to you realize that you're much more of a homebird than you realize uh, before this finish the thesis at home yeah. and as you say this this growing problem in yourself is is there i mean on the other side of it you're coming to terms with it and dealing with it how and who helps you through the other side and I do want to ask this question about something you mentioned before, which is that you felt that people could smell it off you. You were scared that walked around with a constant panic that, oh, they'll know they can tell I've had this problem. Yeah, and I I still think there's an element of that to this day. But going back to your first part, how did I get through it? And um, I didn't. I I think I was in denial for years. Like I remember at one point coming home for, I don't know, whether it was Easter or something it, within that year and going to the doctor because my hair was falling out. I have a huge mop of hair. It's like a mane. It's ridiculous. And my hair was falling out. So it, you know, it felt really strange. So I went to the GP and, you know, she suggested that I go on antidepressants. I'm just going uh, to my hair. Like, is there a tonic or something? I don't even know what a tonic is, but that seems to be the thing to ask for with hair. Yeah. Um, I was having none of it. And honestly, the, 
the couple of years, like the, the thesis was an absolute shit show. Oh my God. I've never read back over. They got a relatively okay mark, but my God, oh, I'd be terrified to read over that again. But that whole process and the months that followed, possibly even the year that followed, was a shit show. It was being home. You know, this is Celtic Tiger times. And um, I got a job in a bank, so suddenly I was earning decent money. And it was a lot of going out. Um, taxis everywhere. You wouldn't be taking the bus taxis into town, taxis back, uh, nights out, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was crazy. So I very much did not deal with it. Certainly came nowhere near to naming it. I think I maybe flirted with a couple of labels acknowledging them. Such as? Well, I guess depression. There would have been a history, a vague history, I suppose, in my family. And... I remember I was in work one day and I fainted and it happened again. And the GP kind of saw, you know, a girl in her 20s, she's fainting, what's she eating? And they sent me to a doctor in a psychiatrist in St. Pat's, I suppose, worried about eating disorder, Dr. John Griffin. And it was when I kind of went with, started with him in my mid-twenties that we realised that, that that wasn't the case. Uh, the root of the problem was probably considerably deeper. And um, what would follow was a series of, I suppose, monthly hospital appointments, cycling through different medications, and then a hospital stay uh, that lasted, I think, six months, wow. just short of six. Again, wow. the, the timelines are so blurry. Mm. Um, and I think they're so blurry because during it, I was fighting so hard so that no one could see. And to, no and to convince yourself there wasn't a problem. Oh, I knew there was a problem. But oh, I just really? wanted to make sure that Nobody my family didn't or my partner didn't know the extent. So that's, oh in, that's incredible. I mean, like mm. what you described there about the going out, the Celtic, I remember it so vividly and yeah. the, the, the constant taxis and the just the yeah. lack of thought for physical oh, wellness was just but it was also papering over the cracks and also mm-hmm. pouring petrol on the flames through, you know, consuming this, yeah. this substance that, you know, has a depressive quality in it. Yeah. And, you know, I don't basically don't drink at all uh, now mm-hmm. for that very reason. But the keeping it from your family must have been like that's an for all of your achievements, Claire, that that's an insane achievement to be able to like I just can't wrap my head around the idea that you could be in hospital for six months and still keeping it from your family mm. as to why uh, they they knew at that stage I just suppose I didn't want them to know the extent because here's the thing it's terrifying there is nothing pleasant about it and by it I don't even know exactly what I'm referring to I've had a couple of different diagnoses at this point I've kind of pulled back from labels because the rose by any other name would smell a shit Uh, I deal with the symptoms but I suppose at the time it was slightly manic episodes really severe depression and it is terrifying I just remember the fear of it, of not trusting myself. And again, it goes back to that idea of not being able to find home base. Mm. And home base is your gut. Home base, 
helps you go, I, you know, I have a decision to make. And yeah, you can, you know, sort through everything on an intellectual level, but something deeper will inform you. Yeah. And not being able to reach that place, it's really unnerving at best and terrifying at worst. And, you know, I didn't, I don't want my family to know this. I don't want them to, to have to go there to imagine what that fear is like. And also bear in mind, this is 15, 16, 17 years ago, mental health, and forgive me, I'm going to sound deliberately glib, it, you know, it wasn't as trendy as it is now. Um, 100%. You know, there's still, you know, I remember, I actually think I wrote them down, this tube of fucking remarks people said um, and I had to write them down to almost make a joke out of it for myself because these were people who you know um, were very well educated and would have considered themselves to be very empathic and they were just you know are you better now and oh the amount of things that get said and unfortunately the nature of the beast I can't separate it so I internalize it you know, because that's where my headspace was at the time. What do you What do you mean? You couldn't separate it, so you internalized it. Well, you know, I can't. I can't at that time. You can't go. Well, that's their shit, or hmm. that's their lack of understanding, or lack of knowledge, or fear, or whatever. So you go, oh gosh, maybe they're right. Maybe it. Maybe I'm making a bigger deal out of it than needs. No. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Am so, so you mean like the oh, comments okay. of. Would you not snap out of it? Or would uh... <laughs> you not go for a walk? Have you tried going for a walk? Apparently that cures everything. Go yeah. for a walk. Right. It's million. <laughs> and all of these comments are in so in some ways well meaning because they think, I wonder is there a simple answer? And some of it is dismissal. And as you say, yeah. some of it is the lack of trendiness that you know mm. they don't never heard of anything like this. Now the members of my extended family who've had things similar to yourself, like what you've described, some of the things you mentioned. Like I've definitely grown up around that conversation. I've aunties who are therapists and I definitely was much more aware of the mental health conversation than most people would have been. But it was still off on the perimeter, wasn't it? It was really beyond the boundary of inverted commas normal was yeah. that the whole thing was that the whole was the, the like i really felt the celtic tiger was a race to normality to, to yeah. fit yeah get that house sure yeah. what would you be doing without a house yeah 100 mortgage brilliant off you go <laughs> yeah. uh, was that it like was was part of this that that kind of blinkered view of how different all of our lives experiences are yeah i don't know like and it sounds somewhat bleak but i i i i just felt there was something inside me that was rotting and that i needed to move quickly before not necessarily that it took over but before it spread so i needed to do like just keep moving just keep moving just keep moving and then that's the flip side of that is days in bed Mm. no energy total apathy listlessness so i kind of flipped between one and the other all nothing all nothing i wow. think there's like a, a TikTok or whatever a, a reel at the moment where it uses the music can i interest you in everything all of the time it's like <laughs> manic movement and then it just flips to something really low and slow and that was that was me at the time 
So that is the first half of my interview with Claire Walsh. I mean, what a human being. ClaireWalshLife.com is where you want to go if you'd like to look into her, maybe book her for a course, learn a bit more about free diving. But of course, you can hear the rest of this interview by just simply supporting our show. The show can't continue. Irishman Abroad wouldn't be here without your support and those that have decided, yeah, I can kick in a couple of euros each month and in return get the second half of every interview, sometimes a further 45 minutes. You also get two further episodes, one with Sonia Sullivan on running on a Tuesday and Marion McKeown looking at America every Friday at the moment where delving deep into the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. She'll be covering every single week of the trial direct from New York. And the only way you can get to hear that and all of our interviews, including the full back catalogue of eight years of interviews with the greatest Irish people ever to have left our shores, is over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. December mightn't be the worst time to do it now that you're heading home or hopefully getting a little bit more time to yourself and things are slowing down. You'll have a wealth of good stuff to listen to, including the rest of this conversation with Claire Walsh. Huge thanks to Claire, Brian Connolly, on production Tina and Mikey for making it all possible and hopefully I'll see you over there on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad to hear the rest of it <laughs>